You've got to do something. I, my mind can't comprehend. And I guess that every generation has felt this. I'm guessing that my grandmother could not understand the horrific things that she saw. But is it my imagination? Or are we experiencing at just a phenomenal pace uh, a, a negative transformation in our culture that, that, that's incomprehensible to my grandmother? incomprehensible to me, right? Uh, so, so, so it's easy for me to say, God, something's got to happen, right? Will you do something, God? And, and honestly, I can, I, can, I can beat down that door. I've got biblical parables to back me up. I can keep banging on that door and say, God, when are you going to change the world? And then his word comes back to me, right? And, and the subjects of transformation aren't the world, the subject of transformation isn't those people out there, right? It's not the other party. It, it, it's not the government. It's not the systems. It's, it's not the victims. It's not all those other things. The subjects of transformation. God says the place where the transformation that I so long for, that I want so bad to happen, the place where that starts is with me. When God answered Solomon's prayer, he said, I've heard, Solomon, and I will answer, but here is the deal. If my people, if my people, the subjects of transformation is God's people. In other words, it begins with the house of God. If we want transformation in our nation, if we want transformation in our world, it doesn't begin with our government. It doesn't begin with those other things. Those things will never be the solution. God says really clearly that the transformation begins with his people. And unless we say, well, who are his people? Clearly, in this context, it's talking about the people of Israel. But then he explains, he has one more phrase that, that, um, that helps us understand who is he talking about in our generation, right? He says, if my people who are called by my name, right? Who are called by my name. I have lots of names, and people call me a few other names behind my back, right? But, and I deserve them, right? Um, but before any other name, before any political party, before any nationality, Honestly, before even uh, uh, a family surname, I'm a Christ one. I'm a Christian, right? I'm called by the name of my Savior. And, and, and so the people that God begins transformation are those who are called by his name. And I gladly join my name with the faithful people of Israel. Who, who responded to God's call in their life, who were called by his name. God's people are called by his name. To be called by the name of the Lord means that you have called on the name of the Lord, right? In Romans chapter 10, that amazing passage, right? Uh, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And then in 1013, he has that phrase, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, so 
To be called by the name of the Lord means you've called upon the name of the Lord. And now the Lord says, I'm going I'm to bring about everything that you're asking for. But I'm going to start with you. I'm going to start with you, right? The subjects of transformation are God's people. But he also seems, and I hesitate to use this word, but he seems to establish conditions for transformations. And the reason that I stumble when I, when I say that is because kind of slipped into our understanding of God is that God is unconditional, right? And it comes from our desire to know him for unconditional love. But I want to I say to you that, that um, as beautiful as that sounds, it's not true. Wow, I'm hanging myself out here. God's love is covenantal. It is conditional. Everybody doesn't just have this beautiful little ending at the end, right? It's conditional upon our response to him, right? And so, so there, he describes in this passage conditions for the things that he promised to be true, for his eyes to be open, for his ears to hear, for his, uh, for sin to be forgiven. He says there's some conditions here. And again, this is so familiar. Please don't check out on me. But, but explore with me just for a second these different things. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Here seemingly are four conditions for this transformation that we're longing for to happen. First, let me, let me say it slightly differently. See your true condition. See your true condition. Wait, didn't Pastor Dave, didn't you say it said humble yourself? Right? And I, I'm kind of a humble person, right? Um, I, think I'm, I think I got one out of the four of these already, right? Um, I want to change it slightly because when you see your true condition, it will humble you, right? I... Um, have this illusion going on in my life. Don't bust it, okay? I'm very sensitive about this, but I have this little game going on in my life, and that is that I have hair, okay? <laughs> Seriously, when I stand in front of that mirror in, uh, in the morning, right, when I'm, and, um, and I'm, I'm brushing all this hair up there, I'm going, you know, we're, we're doing all right, big guy, right? We're doing all right, right? And then I see a picture of myself, like a picture from the baptism a couple of weeks ago, right? And I'm going, who is that bald guy? I thought that I did the baptism, right? Who is that guy, right? And, and I see myself as you see. Now, I'm very grateful to God because you guys are so gracious, right? You're so gracious to me. You, you don't do what they did to Elisha and say, and harass me on the road and say, bald guy, bald guy, right? You don't, you don't do that. By the way, bad things happen to the teenagers, mark my words, that call them bald guy, right? Bad things happen. But I have this illusion about myself, right? And, and I see myself in that one perspective for a few brief seconds and, and think that that's what I'm really like, if I really saw myself as, as God sees me, Tim Keller, Tim Keller put it so powerfully, and it's so helpful to me. 
Tim Keller put it this way. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. We are more sinful. I have all these mechanisms to protect myself from myself, right? To protect myself from seeing myself as I really am. I'm not trying to be a downer to you. I'm just trying to say part of the reason that we never humble ourselves is we never really see ourselves as we are, as needing a Savior as we are. And and so uh, I, I don't want to miss this. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, if they would just see themselves as they really are, then, then they'll be moving toward that place where I can bring transformation, right? Praise God, Tim Keller's quote doesn't end there, and the gospel doesn't end there. The gospel is all about seeing ourselves as we really are. And his quote continues, the gospel is this, we're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Amen? We are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ. But do you understand that we don't understand grace unless we understand brokenness? Does that make sense? It's not grace if we deserve it, right? Um, but when we see ourselves as we really are, then, then, when the gospel comes in and Jesus says, I love you exactly as you really are, and I died for you as you are, and, and I can redeem you, I have redeemed you, you are mine, then the grace of the gospel flows over us as well. The conditions of this are to see ourselves as, as we really are, see our true condition. But then he says, pray. And I want to I substitute here. I want to say, pray extraordinary prayers. Right? When, you see, when you see yourself as you really are, you're really motivated to pray. How wretched man that I am. Apostle Paul, the end of Romans 7, right? Who will save me from this body of death, right? I pray extraordinary prayers. Thanks be to God wherever you are, Tom. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, right? I always think of Tom when I say this for the experience of joy when you understand the grace of God, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8.1, right? Thanks be to God. Pray extraordinary prayers. And I want to, I want to say again, I've mentioned it to you already, but I'm going to say that I'm using this word in two senses. Two senses of the word extraordinary. First of all, unusually great. To pray that God would somehow forgive my sin is an unusually great prayer, right? It's an unusually huge request. I want to encourage you. We got a, we got a big God and our problem is not that our prayers are too big. Our, our huge problem is that our prayers are too small. We don't pray like we have a big God. And so I want to invite you to start praying unusually great prayers. Pray that God would forgive you your sin. That's, that's a great prayer. Pray that God would use you to build his kingdom. That's a great prayer, right? Great prayers are, are, are great in scope, much beyond 
much beyond anything we could have asked or imagined. I'm, I'm praying that in the next 10 years, God raises up 240,000 disciples in the Evansville area. I'm, I'm believing that, that when, when the culture continues to turn away from God, that God would build this place in Evansville where, that would become a lighthouse to our nation, that would become a lighthouse to our globe. You say, well, Dave, aren't there less than 240,000 people in all of Evansville right now? Yes, there are. So, but I'm believing God for an amazing thing by the year 2030. I'm going to share with you someday how you can be a part of that. But right now, you can begin by praying great prayers in scope. Pray great prayers in frequency. You know, it's not just we pray right before the mealtime. It's, it's that we pray every breath that we take in is inhaling the presence of God. And every, every exhale is, is, a, is a prayer to God the God of our life, right? Pray unusually great prayers in scope and frequency. And, and one of the great gifts of my Pentecostal brothers and sisters, whom one of the groups I pray with is pretty, woo. Um, one of the great gifts of it is the fervency. They cry out to God out of a depth of their soul. This is not just intellectual ascent. Oh, yeah, God, here's my checklist for today. They, they cry out with a fervency. And my, my mind goes back to Pastor Jay praying, crying out with fervency to God, right? Pray great prayers in scope. Pray great prayers in frequency. Pray fervent prayers, right? So in, in one sense, I'm, I'm saying extraordinary in the sense of unusually great, but in the other sense, I, I, I want to just say it's, 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 it's not just unusually great prayers, but it's just prayers that are one step beyond ordinary, extraordinary. In other words, you, you aren't going to become uh, Andrew Murray, a great prayer warrior from the past overnight, right? Take one step. Take one extraordinary step. You have a level that, that right now you're comfortable with. It might be very little prayer. It might be massive amounts. Let's go one step further. Let's go extraordinary. Let's go one step beyond. And over the coming weeks, each week, I'll, I'll just invite you to take one baby step beyond. I think uh, during our Christmas Eve service, you might have noticed my phone went off in the middle of the Christmas Eve service at 7.14. Because I've sat my phone to to remind me, and I said it by nice little chimes, but to remind me to pray for our city at 714. Uh, and, and when my phone goes off, I practice our memory verse. I say to myself, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. And we'll heal their land. Maybe God will lead you to the next step that you need to do. But maybe it would be as simple as setting your watch, setting your phone, setting your alarm for 714, and then joining me. I'd actually do it at 714 in the morning, which drives my wife crazy, and 714 in the evening. But join me in lifting up our city. Let's begin to pray extraordinary prayers. See your true condition, God says. Pray extraordinary prayers, right? But seek 
to live. I'm going to stick a word up there. Seek to live quorum Deo. I'm not sure if I put that in the notes I did. Seek to live quorum Deo. I'm using a Latin term because it's so powerful. The actual word there doesn't just mean in God's presence, right? It doesn't, it doesn't just mean um, seek my presence. It means seek my face. Live your life quorum Deo before the face of God. And I think about the different situations that I'm in on a regular basis. And when, when something irritates me or something sets me off or something, something um, begins to make me angry, I'm thinking, what would, I, what would I do if I was sitting right before the face of God in this moment, right? What if we lived every moment of our lives before the face of God? Not, not just when we're in church and not just when we're in a quiet time, but every moment. What, what if your workplace was, was a sanctuary, right? What, what if it was the place where God wanted to be and, 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 and your presence there was the very presence of God to the people around you? What if that difficult family situation that you find yourself in, what, what if your presence right there brought the face of God into that situation? Live, he says. Seek to live before the face of God. Seek to live. Coram Deo, right? In the presence of God. Under the authority of God. Right? Under the authority of God. To the glory of God. What if you sought to live that way? Think transformation would happen? I do. I do. Live quorum Deo. And then, then he says, and turn from your sin to God. He actually put it this way, turn from your wicked ways. Um, as, you were, as you were reading that and praying that earlier, that struck me again, right? We don't like to think of our ways as wicked. Wicked is always the other people, right? But God doesn't pull punches. God says, turn from your wicked ways. Now, I have to say that that's usually where I start. I think when I, when I start with God and I, I say, I want to be transformed, oh, the first thing i got to do is stop sinning, right? And so I say, I am going to resolve I will not sin, right? That's my New Year's resolution. I will not sin, right? That made it to about 1201, maybe 1202, right? Um, you can't do this by act of human will, right? You can't turn from your sin by act of human will. That's why it's so important to say, let's focus less on our sin and more on God. Repentance is turning from sin to God. And as you focus more and more on living Coram Deo, as you focus more and more on turning to God, you'll find that those other things, oh, will they go away completely? No. No. And, and praise God, praise God, every time we sin, we have an advocate. We have a redeemer. I can plead, oh God, forgive me. I thank you, God, that I don't have to do that anymore, but I did. And I thank you for the blood of Jesus. That cleanses me, not of some, not of most, but of all unrighteousness. Jesus, I plead your blood over my life again. Again, right? And God is bound by his character to forgive. 
his children when they ask him, will forgive you your sin, right? So, so it's interesting, whereas I start with turning from sin, right? He didn't. And I, and I want you to, to see a connection there, if, if I can. If you think about it, <clears throat> and I'm pushing this a little bit, but if you think about it, there's kind of a, a, of a progression here, right? You will never pray with fervency. I'm picking up the second one, pray, right? Until you really see your true condition before God. Isn't that interesting? You will never pray with fervency until you see your, new true, your true condition with God. You will never see God's face until you get serious about prayer. That's my sweet invitation to you in January and February. Let's get serious about prayer. And you'll never turn from your wicked ways until God becomes the all-important thing in your life until you learn to live before His face. So humility leads to prayer. Prayer leads to seeking God's face. Seeking God's face leads to turning from our wicked ways. What's the results? What happens as a result? Then, isn't this beautiful? Then, I will hear from heaven. Remember his prayer? Remember Solomon's prayer? I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. Who's the they? Is it all those people out there? Who's the they? Us. I will forgive your sin. But look at the last one. And heal. Heal your land. Does our land need healing? The physical land needs healing. But so does the nation. So does the city. So does our church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Beloved, your tears, your tears were not in vain. The burden that you've been carrying is not in vain. Your sadness, your deep grief is not in vain. Your desperation is not in vain. Beloved, your prayers are not in vain. He will hear. He will forgive. And He will heal our land. Pray with me, would you? Oh, thank you, God, for your love for us. Thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And to the extent that we um, hear your word and respond to it today, we join our voices, we join our lives, we join our bodies, souls, and spirits to the saints who have gone before us, God, including those 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years before the time of Christ, who believed your word and worshipped you. God, they offered to you sacrifices and then they partook of them together. God, they offered to you worship. They bowed before you and worshipped you and you met them there. You revealed your face. 
Now, God, take the simple bread representing the sacrifice of Christ's body. Take this simple juice the, representing the sacrifice of His lifeblood and make them, God, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Make them the Eucharist, the thanksgiving God of our lives. And I pray that in our time of need, as we embark on this prayer journey together, God, I pray that in our time of need, you would meet us here and make not this building, but this temple of my body, these temples of our bodies, this temple made of living stones, God, each life representing a part of a larger body of Christ, make this temple your home. And make it, would you, God? Make it a house of prayer. For we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.